0: At some point, and I always say this, that the smartest person in the room knows they're not the smartest person in the room, you know, so so you do understand that at some point in your company, and even though you found the company, you're not the best CEO role, you know, you're, you're not the best uh, person to really lead the next stage of development or um, lead the company to where it needs to go. And even if it's temporary, taking a step back to breathe some life into that company, sometimes is necessary and that's very true at all levels of organization sometimes
1: okay hey, bianca welcome to the podcast how are you
0: hi i'm really good Robbie. how are you
1: uh excited to have you join us because, um, you know, uh, today's going to make for a very different kind of episode. Generally, we have a lot of founders who join uh, join us here who are, start, you know, very early stage in the grind of things and think of things. Uh, and, you know, before this episode started, we, you know, we were just talking and uh, you're someone who took over an existing business and is driving innovation, driving growth, uh, driving uh, movement there. Um, so I'd love to jump right into that. Could you give us a quick bio yeah. of who you are?
0: Yeah, so uh, Bianca Lager, I'm the president of Social Intelligence, and uh, essentially, I came from a sales and marketing background, um, fresh out of MBA school, essentially, in, in 2015, I was recruited, essentially, by uh, someone that I knew that had founded Social Intelligence. And at the time, Social Intelligence was sort of going through a bit of an identity crisis, so to speak. It was uh, as happens. which I think all your listeners could understand, essentially there was three different product lines and things were getting really convoluted and investors weren't really sure what the business was doing. And it started to get really uh, difficult to pull off all three product lines. Product lines were for the insurance industry, uh, for the government and for employment. And social intelligence is always focused in social media data, right? So you can kind of see how it applies to those three sectors. Government thing was a mess. Sold that part out of it. Um, One of the founders of the company has kind of bread and butter um, and and experience with other uh, companies were in uh, the insurance industry. So decided to take the lead on that company and and, uh, spin that off. So social intelligence brand uh, continued to be for the employment sector, social media data for the employment sector. And he, we went out to dinner one night and he said, do you want to come run my company? And as one does, one says yes. So I, I said yes. And I was bright eyed and bushing tailed. And, um, it was really the, the force that I think the company needed in a lot of ways to kind of come in to think creatively about some of those problems. This product line had been a little bit neglected as, as the convolution, you know, became apparent. So, um, had breathed some new life into the company and I came on just in the middle of the 2016 election. So that was a very interesting time for social media data to, uh, to be, to be getting involved with that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. You know, the, it's interesting, um you you gave us a lot to work with here, but uh yeah. breaking breaking this down, like innovation being uh like a relay race, right yeah. uh where people who generally found found the company don't necessarily end up being the ones that drive uh yeah. the, the future growth. um so many firms uh you know go through this, and I was you know genuinely confused uh, about this being a a founder, it's like wh- at what point or why would you let go of the, of your baby you know and let someone else yeah. take the ship and uh and take over? uh and mm-hmm. what did that take you know i remember reading steve jobs uh biography and, and one of the things i was looking for is like why did he hire you know vp of pepsi to come and take over why hire someone mm-hmm. to be your ceo uh when mm-hmm. you have driven the company so far and have so many ideas right and later on he came as ceo and killed it like why why bring in uh bring in somebody else and uh that that question mark still remains right like uh sure. when you came in like You know, like what was your reactionary process to that, like taking over a company uh, and operating on it?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, for social intelligence, there was very clear reasons, right? I mean, it was it was almost like there was not, you know, running a company as three divisions. And this is probably true for a, a lot of those scenarios that you laid out, too. You can get very distracted and it becomes very difficult to create high performing teams and push product innovation, when there's so many different use cases and goals are getting, they differentiate between uh, between uh, various uh, sectors, right? So for, for social intelligence, that was very clear, and there was a very clear boundary of of what needed to happen, right? Um, and sure, they could have taken a different approach and kind of kept it going and, and kept me as maybe the head of a department or something like that, but certainly for the growth and early stage that social intelligence was – certain from an investor perspective, it was like, pick a lane, you know, like, so you're doing, you know, there's, there's, there's legal parameters between these product lines and stuff that were just very different. Um, so it was pretty clear, but I think universally, you know, there's a couple things going on. And now as somebody who's done this for uh, over five years and it is my baby now, and it is something that's mine, you know, yeah, I do think about succession. I do think about the next stage of what that looks like. And I I do understand, too, that at some point, and I always say this, that the smartest person in the room knows they're not the smartest person in the room. You know, so so, so you do understand that at some point in your company, and even though you found the company, you're not the best CEO role. You know, you're you're not the best uh, person to really lead the next stage of development or um, lead the company to where it needs to go and even if it's temporary taking a step back to breathe some life into that company sometimes is necessary and that's very true at all levels of organization sometimes there's so many companies in in early growth and startup stages where you know employee number 10 you know becomes the director or vp of whatever department and like five years in it's kind of like okay this is you're actually no longer qualified to be the vp of this company you were great at the, you know, the five years ago company, but it doesn't work anymore. The growth stage just demands different skill sets and it and it needs um, a different, uh, you know, set of eyes and different experience levels to really uh, take the company into the new stage that it's entering into. And so the founders for us and, you know, they're still on my board and, and you know, um, and are great advisors to me and everything. So you know, it's nice to have their back experience and their original passion for like the original idea and mission. Right. Um, but they have other things to do at the end of the day, you know, so, um, it does need somebody with that pure focus just to come in and say, okay, I'm going to take ownership over this and bring my new creative energy and bring my ideas and bring, Mm -hmm. um, you know, my leadership. Into the role in yeah. a way that so, that is. I mean,
1: I like what you said about you know the, the you know what the company now uh, is now is now what the company is like five years ago. And and vice versa, like you know, and, and going into the future. But there's a uh, need for yeah. change, right? I think that this is what's uh, very difficult for like especially mid range companies, right? Very large companies yeah. are like aircraft carriers; they can handle change because you know they they can yes. take the impacts. And the small <laughs> a, small tiny companies are yeah. a- agile by nature. You know, right. they're they're on the they're still startup mode. They're running lean. But you know, you run like a, a, a thirty person a- agency essentially, right? Um, how does that operate? How do you, how do you keep that, uh, like, uh, mm-hmm. organization, yeah. organization like that lean? Is it operationally? Is it uh, more, um, goals on how you set them?
0: Yeah, no- all the above. Um, but but that's very much a target of ours is to keep the company as lean as possible. And it always bugs me when people <laughs> ask me, well, how so you know, how many people do you have or do you expect to grow in the next year? No. Uh, you, uh, you know, it, it, it's a matter of fact, like that's that's um, we tr- we try to operate in the Instagram style of, uh, of uh, you know, keeping it as lean as possible for very obvious reasons i mean there's overhead margins and and all sorts of things and metrics that we want to meet but you know at the core of of the business um we do see really good uh you know really good value in in keeping the team as agile as possible now you know, look, I'm kind of being dramatic there to some degree. Yes. You need to grow. You need to like, you know, you know, expand roles and, and things get more complicated as time goes on and that's all good and fine. But, um, you know, I don't think that that's always a metric of company success. I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to grow to the size of your fishbowl, right? You, you do, um, you do need to know, What meet the needs of what your company is, but that doesn't mean necessarily adding headcount um, just for the sake of adding headcount. And I think that's actually where those kind of mid-range companies, like you, you pointed out, do get into a lot of trouble. That kind of rapid expansion and growth happens very quickly. It's very difficult. It's very difficult to transfer from that agile company where we kind of you know, do what we want, and uh, you know, make it up as we go, and and we have a lot of autonomy over everything that happens. To now a much more complex structure where you you need structure, you need more red tape, you need more um, rules and bureaucracy, so to speak, and that's a very difficult transition for a lot of folks, you know, in the aggregate and just in in people's personal lives and day to day jobs. So. Um, I've, it, I've been part of companies that, that have been in that stage. It's not fun. It's not fun. You know, it's not fun for anyone. Um, so I think it does take a special person to kind of lead a company through some of those things and, and be, be keen to, uh, address right. the concerns um, as they I, come I think up.
1: you hit something really core there when you talk about, um, you know, company size and the uh, number of employees being a metric that people fixate on. Um, it's, it's, it's really interesting because, um, you're absolutely right. People fix it all the time. Uh, people are shocked sometimes that like this, like, like, you know, companies like Clubhouse, Mm -hmm. how small the teams really are when they're raised billions of dollars. And like the, and and the interesting thing is like, it's, it's essentially, um, -hmm. the age we live in, right? And the, and the leverage, technology leverage and and the, and the media leverage we can utilize, uh, to do more. Um, I believe like, um, it it was like, I think Citibank or, um, uh, not Citibank. Um, anyway, it was one of the, one of the biggest banks in the world. 20 years ago, their investing department, um, hired, uh, was like operating at like, I think like 200,000 people to run the operations of their, uh, of their operations. Now that same department is run by four people using automation tools to, uh, you know, handle the same, um, the, their funds and, 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 uh, how it's been operated. Like the amount of technology and how you operate, utilize is, uh, is kind of like the way you think about it. And. Yeah. Um, uh, we're, we're talking, there's a common theme that, uh, in this podcast, we've talked to like founders mm-hmm. about, about the idea that th- this new industrial revolution with, with the, t- the technology age, the machine age is making like a new class of, of workers, which is like knowledge workers.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Um, are, are you familiar with this? Yeah. Like, what do you know about knowledge work and yeah. how is that different from, uh, work in the past?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm a fan. And so it's, um, it's a very, I mean, and at the end it's about scale. Right. And so, so you're talking about, um, you're talking about, you're talking about all sorts of things, but it, with, within it comes down to not just the balance sheet and, and, uh, exactly, you know, the financials of the company, which matter obviously, um, you know, <laughs> Instagram sells for 1.5 or whatever was billions of dollars it was to Facebook. I mean, those 20 employees, you know, those shares look pretty good, right? So I mean there's there's some upside there. But also, um, you know, how you actually gain customers and and produce work and, and deliver your product. And when you are launching to enterprise companies and you do experience growth, Well, they don't have uh, all day to sit around and wait for you to hire and train people and things like that. I mean, talk about the pain of Peloton over the over the pandemic. Right. I mean, and there's I mean, technology only gets you so far and innovation there only gets you so far. You literally have to build the bike. Um, That's just the way it goes. So, uh, you know, this idea of knowledge workers, I think, is is is, uh, uh, you know, not scary to me, but I see how that's scary to a lot of folks. Because it does feel like, oh my gosh, are we just all being replaced? I think about it like we're we're leveling up. We're we're taking skill sets and changing them so that you become a different set of workers. We become, you know, our economy is based on different skill sets. Um, and if there's an economic term, and it always fails to. It always fails me when I think about this. like like divisional labor or something like that. But it's it's essentially you know, it's like the lawyer has, the lawyer can do everything. He could take calls, he can figure out new clients, he can actually do the work. But at some point, you have to outsource and maybe hire an assistant to help you do some more of the administrative stuff so that you can focus on the legal work. And it's the same concept to me is like, let's utilize that technology. Let's just call it technology and automation, right? In a broad way um so that we as humans as 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 the new skilled labor force can take our knowledge set and elevate that so that we can actually achieve more um create maybe better higher paying jobs for folks it's it's a long term situation though and i know and especially you know the climate of of politics today there's a lot of short term pain so that's hard to reconcile i think for a lot of folks and hard to really accept um but you know at the end of the day i'm sort of a believer in that vision of of how the workforce as a whole can adapt to that knowledge based uh skill set um and it doesn't even necessarily take you know years and years of education it, it it is something that if you make some of these you know something we talk about at my company a lot is augmented ai and uh augmented uh, intelligence right so that it, you still do need humans to quality control and and you know maintain some systems. So, it, but there's less humans necessary. Your 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 bank example is a good good example of that. Um, but the, those four people of what they're actually doing is very different than whatever those um, whatever everybody else was doing before. So it takes a different skill set. It it takes a, a different complete balance. And you know, you look at Uber of the world. I mean, how many times have people said that example? But it's it's just a really great example of that actually created a whole new workforce mm-hmm. that nobody ever dreamed up before. So I think about it in terms of possibility, and uh, I I think it's I think it's a, a, a wonderful direction. But I. Have a lot of empathy for the fear that might cause in people who feel yeah, like their jobs. Yeah, I being
1: mean, replaced. we're going through this like definitely a revolution in in, in, in the way we work and leverage uh, things around us, and in that, yeah. people are being displaced absolutely. But again, there's new opportunities coming up. Can we? You know, you talked about the skill sets necessary uh, for like augmented AI. Right, like how to understand and deploy systems. I think that's the basis of knowledge work, right? You're building, yeah. s- building or deploying or tweaking scalable systems, yeah. and you're kind of operating scalable yeah. systems as they scale. Um, how does that look like, and how yep. do you uh, deploy that in um, social intelligence?
0: Hmm. For social intelligence, we think about it in terms of t- we think about it in terms of a workflow and tasks, right? So our goal is to make the task simple, and the workflow, uh, the UI and the UX of these, those column internal platform workers, as intuitive and simple as possible. So what do you think about like, Apple, right? And iPhones and things that you know, it's like that kind of UI UX intuition is why we're all able to pick up our iPhones and do our thing within minutes, right? (laughs) And so we try to apply as best as we can. (laughs) (laughs) moving target always uh these those principles in the same way um because we do have to have a skilled uh uh, labor force to quality control the data that is coming inside uh that is you know before we put reports out we you know we operate a lot like facebook where we have to double check you know we have to have people double check to make sure this this proof when you're talking about employment and you're talking about potentially denying somebody a job based on data you got to make sure that's right and, uh, quite frankly, if I had the solution to, uh, artificial intelligence that was banging this out, then I'd be on the phone to Mark Zuckerberg faster than I'd be on the phone to you, Robbie, like apologies, but that's just the way it goes. Right. Um, <laughs> and so, so you do need a layer of, of that quality. So, so how do you achieve that at scale? Right. Is it's not, it, it the part of the goal is to yes, have, like, make sure the technology is correct, right? Like, just make sure that you're you're getting quality from your technology. So there's, there's that that you work on. And then on the other side of it, sort of accepting <laughs> that you have this labor force. And it, truly, this was a problem for social intelligence for a long time to kind of, you know, how much are we going to invest in, in this over the other? It felt like a choice. And it's, you know, I, I have absolutely... Um, you know, reconciled and balanced our efforts to, to try to achieve both at the same time. Um, which is difficult, but you know, on, on the human side of it, it is about breaking down those tasks to be easy because so you can train people quickly. So you can, you can give them that knowledge base and have them navigate through those tasks easily. Um, so that when you are onboarding new clients and you're, you know, focused on product delivery, those things can stay, scale as quickly as possible. Um, you make it too complicated, then you have a situation where it takes a long time for people to uh, adapt to those side sort of things or you make too many changes too fast and you have all sorts of operational problems. So um, the intuition of, of, the, of the platform itself and then leveraging technology to inform decisions along the way. Is, is what we try to focus on, I guess. Yeah, a, uh,
1: really and uh, I think what's way. interesting <laughs> about this is uh, this field is uh, probably like you have you have to be constantly researching and uh, understanding what's the cutting edge because it's changing so uh, rapidly. Um, at least I believe so. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Scott Galloway made this uh, great point, NYC professor, about how the the greatest minds uh, of our society now work in four companies facebook uh facebook apple uh google and mm. uh <laughs> well why am I, why am I, microsoft right yeah yeah. yeah, so yeah, um, say, uh, the, those four companies <laughs> and the Manhattan Project at its height had like 300,000 of the top scientists and minds working on atomic energy projects at, uh, you know, uh, in a it way. These four firms hired the top 700, and, uh, 700 plus, uh, you know, thousand people, uh, scientists, mostly thinking about how technology interfaces with, with people. Um, one of the things that was shocking is that like at Google, uh, they have a team three times mm. as, uh, as big than um, the actual search team thinking about how to sell ads to people better, right? The ad team at, at Google is driven like that. And with an ad-centric model, we're now we're atomizing and, and breaking down how people think and react to things at such a, such a uh, interesting uh, level from like a uh, engineering uh, an engineering mm-hmm. problem before like consciousness and things were like a philosophy problem now it's seen as an engineering problem hmm. and uh, the one of the one of the like uh, great fears like I think uh, yeah you've all heard the Israeli historian, he talks a lot about this about how technology eventually down the line will go from just uh, being an analysis engine. To then being calculating and 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 uh, and, uh deploying um at, at least like uh, the, sorry shaping our realities um you know there was a great ted talk i'll, I'll listen to about how mm-hmm. uh, the algorithms that define your life right like you go to places because google maps tell you to go to right uh you're you're yeah, seeing yeah. updates from certain friends because instagram is <laughs> the feed is showing you that yep right like algorithms are making and deciding what's important around our lives all the time. Right. And we're kind of slowly let go. Right. Um I would love to learn from you. Like what is possible right now with social intelligence? What does that really yeah. mean? Um uh, like how did that uh, how does that deployable? How's that commercialized? Yeah. How does that work?
0: Y- yeah, that's a big question. Um because I think and, and fundamentally right there's um well you know, the the old adage when you talk about this stuff is you're only as good as the data that you're inputting. Right. So, so there's danger there, um, in a lot of ways uh, and things to be wary of and why people feel it's big brother and it's scary and all this kind of stuff, because you know, the biases that those humans are thinking about and the group think and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's been covered in so many different ways with like disparate impact and um, you know, different types of disadvantages that can create and just kind of the concept of our lives being about this deep. We never really get to go further down because we see a lot, you know, at this, the, cr- the crust, uh, you know, we see a lot it's wide, but do we ever, you know, go, go down and go deeper because, um we're just distracted by too much information, um, and too many options. I can't even, I can't even watch TV because it's just too overwhelming. And we were having this conversation in the office yesterday about ordering food and Mm -hmm. all the apps of the world, like there's too many options, right? Um, so, and so it, it, and those algorithms are telling us what to eat. Um, so it's, it's interesting and yeah, it affects all of our, 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 lives for social intelligence. What we do is we deliver consumer uh, reports, right? So we're just like criminal reports and drug tests and things that you know you, you sign on to. Usually a, a bigger, larger company, and they have you said They say we're going to do a background check on you, and you enter your data, whatever. They do the background check, and you move on with your life. Um, and so we're part of that process. And essentially, what we're doing is checking for potentially adverse information. So to know what it is that you're doing and what the output has to be is important, right? What, what we have found over the years is that at the beginning, you know, in in 2010, when this company launched, you can imagine people were like social media, background checks, like, what is this all about? And how, you know, okay, well, show me people's Facebook, show me this show, you know, I want to see what they're, they're like now. I mean, we're 2021 people, like I can't be bothered. I get it. Yeah. I don't want to see pictures of their dog. Like, you know, no, <laughs> nobody in organizations want to hire people and look through their social media, but essentially that's what happens. Right. I mean, that's, we can't help it. Like we, you know, we Google this person and, and try to figure out what I know about them, but there's also problems with that. I mean, you're, Are you looking at the right thing? What are you looking at? What criteria are you using? And all this kind of stuff. So the way social intelligence goes about it is to systemize that data and it's to systemize that process and to, at the forefront, make identity resolution, make sure we have the right Bianca Logger out there and, and all the websites that I have a publicly available footprint on. It's a large task, though. As you can imagine, you know, not everybody has names like you and I, Ravi. There's John Smiths in the world and 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 there's all sorts of things that um, we have to find different characteristics to make unique and make sure we have that right John Smith in Los Angeles. So um, that's the first task. And that's kind of how we think about the data and how we think about the quality of that data. And we think about getting that right, um, what inputs give us the highest quality results to where we're getting those those we're getting it right, right um what and then and then how do you put that data together and search through the internet to to find those kinds of things um obviously simplifying this, but that's that's it in a nutshell um and then we have to think about, okay, you know the intention of why somebody why an employer is concerned about or could be concerned about somebody's social media what what is it? Why do we care, you know, about what's on somebody's social media? Now, when I first joined this company, the conversations that I was having about this was it was a more difficult concept to explain. Now that we've been through the Trump presidency, you know, uh, the Capitol riots, even the most recently, there is a different mindset of understanding and, and so many celebrity viral moments and things like this that have happened over the years now that there is has has absolutely been a shift in the mentality of like, yeah, no, I mean, like, is that guy racist? <laughs> is this guy threatening people online? Is this, you know, are we creating is this guy creating a dangerous or potentially negligent situation for this company? And um, so sales wise, things have gotten easier in that conversation. (laughs) But but operationally, you know, the data does look very much the same as 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 10 years ago. It's the same things that people are 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 concerned about. Um, What is more complicated for social intelligence now is the variety of platforms, the different security settings Um, when we're focusing. So so, you know, to answer your question, it's like we need to understand what we need to look for. And we need to find the right person. And then when we're actually reviewing that person's online footprint, we need to focus exactly on on what the data that we need. And it's not easy on social media because of people's emotions, because behavior is not as simple as a command F. And uh, in terms of, of technology and being cutting edge are so much review and things that we could apply and we could spend a lot of time constantly testing new concepts and ideas for the most part. And to keep our company lean, uh, you know, we we focus on things that we know other people use and we know has been tested and we know has been effective. And we think gives us the best opportunity to find that information and or to help us along the way. Um, and that does also have a lot to do with at the end of the day, uh, the data we put into it. So the, the humans that are thinking about how we're doing this, the humans that are also actually doing the work and then giving feedback, because we kind of consider that R and D as well. When you're actually interacting with this work, you're understanding what is it going to take to sift through it? And then we can kind of go back to a different team and say, OK, what application could we either create on our own in which we we primarily have a lot of proprietary proprietary uh, uh, tools that we use to employ this based on existing technology, obviously. But we customize a lot of the stuff ourselves because it is a very unique thing that we we have to do, um, especially dancing around and, and making sure we live up to uh, the platform rules of faith, you know, Facebook doesn't want, they're not, they're not letting me just go in there and download stuff. Okay. People that's not how this works. You know, like they're not, that isn't the way we operate. Um, so, uh, we have to think very, uh, we have to think about, yes, like artificial intelligence and, and imaging and uh, machine learning and apply those concepts, but we generally have to build tools that are very customized to accomplish the goals that, that we have to accomplish. And, um, it takes a lot of uh, of thinking, yeah. As you say, no, thinkers. I love that
1: because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I think you talked that's, really uh, interesting about that, like about Facebook and what allows you to take out on, and the different platforms and the security settings. Uh, this is a growing concern and movement right now is like one the variety of different platforms and two the fact that these are these are essentially platforms that are, are like are like, uh, are like uh sucking up the uh, data into like closed systems ecosystems that, are, that are untappable almost right because they who are inside have mm-hmm. the ultimate uh control because of the amount of data they have and then people that are really close to them uh i was learning recently that even like with like um with like with the ads and uh with the digital advertising so only a few uh, marketing agencies have like like priority one access with like a a facebook like account manager on their end helping fine-tune exactly how to use a facebook ads and things like that and and the level of support they get and insider access like you know gives them a whole um level up on everybody else and things like that so these platforms uh being like these like Mm -hmm. giant pools of data are are becoming more and more a concern, right? What you know? What do you feel about this market? Because right now, that's growing movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about like protocols over platforms. Mm-hmm. Protocols, not platforms, which are instead of private companies are you know mm-hmm. that are owning uh, how yeah. uh, certain operations work or all this data or uh, certain uh, key industries. They operate under a protocol layer that kind of like sets where things are stored, how they're stored, how they operate, and externally. And um there's a few protocol layers that we've been tracking. Yeah. One of them is like matrix. So like right now, like uh, Slack... Discord, WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, Instagram Messenger, they're all um um uh, operating under the Matrix pr- protocol layer, meaning now they're actually interoperable. You, you know, uh, slowly they're opening up bridges where you can now talk between platforms. So from a Slack mm. group you can message a Discord group, you can message a uh, Instagram group, right? And this uh that allows mm-hmm. for more platforms to come up as as bridgers and, and 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 gaps, right? Um so Anyone can now deploy a, a a platform on top of this protocol yeah. layer and communicate within this bridge network. So it's it's really interesting how things are like fragmenting. We're allowing more players mm-hmm. to come in, but all operating under the, under this kind of like protocol layer. Uh, are you tracking any of this? Like, uh, is this something that you follow about about the DeFi movement?
0: It, to some degree, but at the end of the day what I know is true (laughs) and is always true until it actually affects the platform and, and the actual, uh, accessibility of data on our end. It's, it's sort of a, not a waste of time, but you can really go down a rabbit hole and be concerned about all these things and try to be proactive and think of, you know, the the things that we need to change or get ahead of Mm. when some of this stuff just doesn't pan out in the ways that mm-hmm. people's imaginations in the corners of the internet, you know, think they're going to, or want them to. Right. And, you know, what I, what I know for sure. And what I, what I do track is, um, you know, Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg's philosophical approach mm. to data, to, to user data and the accessibility of that data. And, you how they go about monitoring their own data and 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 give people accessibility. So, so from social intelligence perspective, I mean, knock yourselves out, you know, and, and discuss this and debate this and everything all day. At the end of the day, like the 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 those large platforms that have very complicated structures that have astronomical. I mean, Facebook has it's it's like twenty five percent of the world's population monthly mm-hmm. users at any given time. Right. That's staggering. And so those kind of changes and those kinds of accessibility to, to, to data or, or what that looks like for Facebook is, is wild. It's, it's, it's very, it's very complicated and they have to think through a, a lot of different things. And so, um, so, the basis of, of their intentions thus far have tracked to sort of be like default to you own your data and, you know, you have control over who sees it and who doesn't. Oh, but by the way, if it doesn't follow our rules, then we're going to let you know that, <laughs> you know, you know, so, and that's kind of a pushback and responsibility that they have. So, so I think it's great, you know, the, these kind of movements to, um to, Un, you know, un, un, uh, unfocus the data. Because yeah, sure, it's like should all your communication, you know, just be siphoned into Slack, or can you, you know, are, are you able to leverage uh, these bridges, uh, so to speak, and open it up and and make things a little more accessible, or make um make your information be not so housed within, you know, one server essentially, and 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 sort of broaden that out, um. I, it's super interesting, but you know, these very large, and, and it's, it's a little bit simpler for messaging platforms, things like that. Right. Because it's, it's just, it's just not the same thing as uh, a a massive social networking platform. It's just not, you know? And so I think that probably, um, you know, Facebook wants to, or, or, or these platforms are the way social intelligence is concerned about or thinks about it is much more in like how that actually affects the visibility of data. Um, But having those choices, I think fundamentally are great for users. You know, I think that, you know, as a user, um, you should be able to have ownership of that data and decide, you know, and, and understand where that data it lives, who has access to it, who's going to see it. And so I appreciate the movement in, in the sense of the consumer being empowered to know that's, and that's a little bit of why, you know, this company exists is because look, your, your boss shouldn't be Googling you behind your back. You know, like you should have transparency into how that's happening, what they're looking for, where they looked and you know what they found and what time and all that kind of stuff. Not just, you know, I had a recruiter tell me once and I say this all the time, but she's like, I just don't pass somebody on. Cause they, t- if they take too many selfies or pictures of food. And if you think mm. about it from a data perspective, it's like, oh, <laughs> those are your criteria of like you're putting in the algorithm. Like <laughs> that's a biased algorithm, you know. Um, so, 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 um, yeah, I think a lot of these platforms have decisions to make in terms of accessibility, in terms of how you're going to open that up. I, I appreciate. From uh, a security perspective, for these companies to have, a, it creates a lot of concerns. It it also makes things more complicated for them. So you have to balance that with any of those situations, and and to understand um, that some of the way that you know the systems are created are trying to balance other concerns of the business, not just this one. I, you know, idea of I want my data, and I, you know, I I need you to not be so greedy with it. Um, it's a very complicated equation for for these folks, and I I I optimistically and perhaps naively believe that the intentions of most of these platforms are good, and that they're not necessarily there to uh, siphon that kind of power on, on each and every one of us in the aggregate though, of course, like it's problematic because it, it is, is, it's a lot of information for one little company to have, you know, um, it's not a problem I'm excited to, uh, to take on myself. I am so glad that there are so many people thinking about that. And uh, for social intelligence's part, I think that uh, we always look at those trends and we always consider them, but watch much more closely to how that plays out. In I
1: mean, uh, more on that and data and, um, you know, uh, like privacy and, and security, like, you know these big companies, tech companies. You know they take all like mm-hmm. the, the eyeballs because like they're they they they're a center of attention. But behind the scenes, there's a huge data brokerage market marketplace that uh, that has always been there and is now operating at, at a level unprecedented. Mm-hmm. And there are literally brokerages, data brokerage that even Facebook buys data off of, right? To get consumer data, to get to get identity data, things like that, to identify yeah. and make sure and verify pl- uh, profile settings, things like that. And these these things. Are like sucking up data from so many different uh, mm-hmm. platforms and, and and a lot of different places. Um. And one of the mm-hmm. holy grails of this uh, industry is to be able to create like digital twins of people, you know, like it's almost like a, a digital copy of a person with all the data inputs coming in mm. and you can create like prediction algorithms run on top of them uh, at a wide scale at mm. uh, generally and then more individualized that can p- predict yeah. uh, at large levels how populations behave, how certain set market segments behave, and then down to the individual. And yeah. uh, the scary thing comes when it's like, okay, mm-hmm. at what level of sophistication can, um, can, can these things, tools operate at? Right. So when it comes to like, like when I think about mm-hmm. social intelligence, when I think about like understanding the intel, uh, mm-hmm. like utilizing these kind of tools, it grains down to like, you know, what, what is this, is, like what is possible? Yeah. And you know, who is operating that behind the scenes in the day? Right. So that mm-hmm. is one of the main reasons, uh, I, I think. Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: I think one of the main it's reasons about opening question. this
1: up and making open data more of a thing and to create protocol layers for everyone to, to kind of communicate with we'll have uh, at mm-hmm. least open up like the, the trust factor required because to be honest, like even though scary it is this actually allows for a lot of things like imagine having like a like like almost like a vault like a, a online vault that has mm-hmm. all your data that you can allow algorithms mm-hmm. then to, uh, to lead you on to and uh and like uh make predictions about yourself your heart health your your sleep patterns like you know or like you know how often you go to the mm-hmm. doctor and what that showcase right like like individually that's a great consumer product um, if we've actually brought out to the, to the people, but right now it's in a closed marketplace, right? Like utilize for, uh, you know, yeah. how to sell a uh, better Nissan better, and how to how to uh, how to uh, you know, and 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 large level.
0: Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Demographics is a tale as old as time in the marketing world, right? Like, I mean, yeah. that's that's nothing new, folks. That's Mad Men stuff, uh, pre Mad Men stuff, right? Like that is that is not. That's not new stuff. But with the, and and to your point, I think now that we're able to utilize so many different ways of putting those demos together and then making Mm -hmm. decisions, predictable decisions, um, which for me and thus social intelligence is a very dangerous world to operate in, given what we do. I, I am, we are always wary of, how we are applying inputs and data and creating systems to what line is this now as you say like a digital copy or, or creating a, a predictable because it'd be easy for us to do it'd be easy for us to say who what is the type of person and their behavior that is most likely to post a racist post Let's you know, and if you don't meet that criteria, we're going to skip you and automatically uh, output a clear report for you. And we're only going to focus on the people who we think are probably going to be racist or probably going to create criminal activity. I don't even think I need to state the obvious of how, like, clearly dangerous that would be. Right. And how clearly, you know, probably incorrect. Also, I think at the end of the day, that's probably what drives us more than anything. Um, because what we've seen with anything is that stupid doesn't discriminate. Uh, I say that all the time. Um, so, so this idea of, of profiles, um, and, and creating predictable, it, it's something that we've struggled with and thought about with quite a bit because you, you do reach a point where you're starting essentially to predict. And, and in our case, this is based on human behavior and uh it, it it human emotions and and um the complexity of, of how how that is displayed online not necessarily the characteristics of who somebody is and so it, it's a very uh slippery slope i think um but the marketer in me completely appreciates <laughs> you know that you want to address the right audience for your product that you want to address the people who are relevant to who who you're speaking to, who you're trying to find. I mean, it's like the holy grail of marketing, right? Is like, I don't, I'm not trying to sell you things that aren't intended, that you have no interest in, that you just you don't need to buy for whatever reason. Um, because I waste marketing dollars and I waste time in closing that that life cycle from prospect to. Uh, customer right or to even just like a visiting my website session to to paid customer so um so i appreciate that very much um in our in the way that our the, the product that we're delivering specifically and and it's actually probably very true well it's very true for these platforms as well and something that they battle with too is you know automating the the you know co- the review of content um you start you you can very easily create these predictable patterns, and people complain about this stuff all the time. It's like i my tweet was, you know, my Twitter was held down, and that wasn't even that's not what I meant mm. because it's tough. it's it's hard to command effort is what I always say. and so it's it's it, you know those 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 predictable um, stereotypes those predictable, uh, you know concepts of digital, you know, digital duplicates as you said, I love that. Um, it's, that's a, that's a, uh, that's a slippery soap in a dangerous world to, co- and, and we've been pitched by many, you know, partners, investors, people that wanted to take different approaches to our product or help us expand it in different ways, mm. um, to think about it like that. And, uh, it, I don't see it as a, as a, um, hmm. profitable road. That's very fascinating.
1: Yeah cuz this is, uh this has been really great. Uh, I've been dying to talk to somebody about this cuz these are topics that I'm very concerned about. I, yeah. I appreciate your uh, like insider kind of uh <laughs> the th- thoughts on uh, on these yeah. matters cuz I think it's really important. Uh we're moving more into a digital digital future and uh and we need uh more thoughts and, and more uh, concepts uh, uh, discussed openly about how we can improve these kind of things. So, I love that. Um yeah, thank you so much for your time and thank you for joining us. Sorry.
0: Thanks, Ravi. Really appreciate it and love to. Perfect. And for everyone who joined us. Thank you. <laughs>